Hear the word of God from Paul's letter to the Galatians, chapter 5, verse 1, and verses 13 through 25, located on page 948 in the Pew Bible. For freedom Christ has set us free. Stand firm, therefore, and do not submit again to a yoke of slavery. For you were called to freedom, brothers and sisters. Only do not use your freedom as an opportunity for self-indulgence, but through love become slaves to one another. For the whole law is summed up in a single commandment, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. If, however, you bite and devour one another, take care that you are not consumed by one another. Live by the Spirit, I say, and do not gratify the desires of the flesh. For what the flesh desires is opposed to the Spirit, and what the Spirit desires is opposed to the flesh. For these are opposed to each other to prevent you from doing what you want. But if you are led by the Spirit, you are not subject to the law. Now the works of the flesh are obvious. Fornication, impurity, licentiousness, idolatry, sorcery, enmities, strife, jealousy, anger, quarrels, dissensions, factions, envy, drunkenness, carousing, and things like these. I'm warning you as I warned you before. Those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. By contrast, the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, generosity, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. There is no law against such things. And those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. If we live by the Spirit, let us also be guided by the Spirit. The Word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. You ever have one of those weeks where you just find yourself thinking a lot about family? I've had one of those weeks this week because, well, I know it's hard to believe, but I am the mother of twin boys that turned 21 this week. I cannot believe it. <laughs> so I thought a lot about them this week. They were home a week ago and we celebrated early, but they're gone for the summer now. So they weren't with us. But I, so I found myself on their birthday looking through pictures. And I found a set of pictures that my mother had taken when I had taken the boys up to Jacksonville from Miami. And it was a string of pictures when the boys were just at that age where they were crawling but not walking. They had no sense about them, okay? So it was, no, don't play with that vase. No, that electrical outlet is, no, 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 don't pull up on that chair, you'll fall over it. No, no, no. And about that time, my mother went into the hall closet and pulled out a large playpen that she had borrowed from a neighbor. And the boys thought that was great. It was something new to crawl on. And once we got it set up, they crawled inside and they had a great time. They were free. 
inside that playpen. They were free to giggle at one another and to share toys and to take a nap. They were free to do whatever they wanted to do. And it was a freedom that was grounded in love. So today, as we look at our text, I'm thinking a lot about freedom. The freedom that God gives to us that is grounded in love. Would you pray with me? Oh, holy and gracious God, I pray that the words of my mouth and the meditation of all of our hearts would be acceptable to you, O oh Lord, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. So we're talking about freedom and the significance that it has throughout the biblical record and throughout our contemporary lives is immense. I mean, we love, we cherish, we highly value freedom. Early in the Old Testament, we meet a man named Moses whom God chose to lead the Hebrew people to freedom, to lead them out of the bondage of, of slavery to the Egyptians. Let my people go, Moses tells Pharaoh. And eventually, after a lot of nasty <clears throat> plagues and such, they are liberated. And later on, Jesus spoke of freedom as well. In the Gospel of John, he writes, he speaks, If you continue in my word, you are truly my disciples, and you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. Jesus modeled for us a life that is lived freely and completely before God. Freedom is not a unique concept. Many of us seek it. But after Jesus spoke about it, then Paul comes along in the book of Galatians and writes, For freedom, Christ has set you free. Stand firm, therefore, and do not submit to the yoke of slavery. But what does that freedom mean? I mean, is it the freedom to vote? Maybe. Is it the freedom to marry? Is it the freedom to choose a college major? Is it the freedom to say yes to this job and no to that job? Is it freedom of religion? Or freedom from abuse? From addiction? Is it a belief that I can do whatever I want to do whenever I want to do it? Is freedom confused with the free reign license? Does freedom mean that one could indulge himself or herself whenever and however one pleases without taking into consideration all of the consequences, intended or unintended, of those actions? And does pure self-indulgence mean freedom? What does freedom mean? I think it's much more complex than it appears at first blush. I see a lot of lawyers in here, and I'm thinking, mm-hmm, preaching, yeah. And what does Paul mean, then, when he talks about Christian freedom? For freedom, Christ has set us free. What's he talking about? Well, if we look at the book of Galatians, well, let's look at why Paul is writing to them and what, is, what he's saying. You see, Paul is pretty perturbed. He's hot and bothers. He is upset with what's happening in, in Galatia. Because he has been there and he has encouraged that young faith community, those fledgling disciples, those Christ followers there. But then when he left to go minister elsewhere, this ultra-conservative group of Jewish Christians called Judaizers basically told the people of Galatia, you're just not quite good enough. You don't have it right. 
You're just not quite there. Unless you keep all these Jewish laws and observances. You see, the main question seems to be, do the Gentiles who have come to believe in Jesus Christ, do they have to become Jews in order to follow God? Or can they simply be Jesus-believing Gentiles, individuals who love God and seek to be faithful? Because if they have to become Jews first, then they have to become circumcised and have to follow all of the Jewish laws and practices. Rules, rules, rules. And it's like Paul is saying to the Gentiles, don't you dare become enslaved again to more rules and obligations, regulations. That's why he boldly proclaims, for freedom, Christ has set you free. Christ has already set you free. Free from that endless list of do's and don'ts. You see, freedom in Christ, our relationship to God, has been restored. Not by something that we need to do, must do, have to do, should do. But it's been restored by something that God has already done in Jesus Christ. From Paul's perspective, when Christians fully grasp that fact, then they can begin to enjoy freedom to live. It's hard to grasp that kind of real freedom. For some of us live in tremendous bondage, bondage of our own making sometimes, and we don't realize that we are free to live a different kind of life, a life that is full of love. Rodney Wilmoth is a United Methodist minister that died about seven or eight years ago, and he tells a story of a time when his parents lived over in Venice, Florida, which was the Venice, the summer home of a very famous circus. And each time that he would visit, he would take his kids to the circus grounds, and one time they were in the area where the elephants were being trained. Now, each elephant that was there, though, had a large chain on one of its feet, and that chain was attached to a pole that stuck in the ground. And each elephant would just shuffle their leg back and forth, back and forth, back and forth, like they were trying to break free from the chain. That is all the elephants did that, except for one elephant. There was this one elephant that kept moving her leg backwards and forwards, backwards and forward. Only she didn't have a chain on her at all. If she wanted to, she could have simply walked out of the place. And Rodney asked the trainer, why does that elephant continue to move her leg back and forth just like all the others? And the trainer said, it's because that elephant thinks that her leg is chained to the post. She doesn't realize it, but she is free. How many of us continue to live like that elephant, bound by things that we have done that we cannot let go of, bound by decisions we've made long ago that we need to release, decisions that have incredible power over us that we need to freely give them away to God, bound by wounds that keep hurting us and pulling us down and keeping us chained up. For freedom, Christ has set us free. We are liberated. You are liberated. The future is open. No shackles. You are no longer bound to living in the same old ways. You can live a different kind of life. 
one that is grounded in love. With Christ, there is freedom, a freedom to live differently, a freedom to let the Spirit work its way in you, a a life that is led by the Spirit. Well, if we continue on reading, the next bit says, For you were called to freedom only, only do not use your freedom as an opportunity for self-indulgence, but through love become slaves to one another. Freely become slaves to one another. For the whole law is summed up in a single commandment. You shall love the Lord, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. And then live by the Spirit, I say, and do not gratify the desires of the flesh. Whew, I remember in seminary studying this about the flesh and the Spirit. You know, just saying that sounds something else. Works of the flesh or the fruit of the Spirit. You know, Paul has a particular way of talking about those. And you might think that flesh means everything to do with the body, and the spirit means everything to do with the mind and the heart. But perhaps a better way to think about it is when Paul uses the word flesh or living in the flesh, it's like a person who resists being, uh, resists the impulse of the Holy Spirit in their lives. It's like resisting the wooing of the spirit that's calling you to live a, a deeper life in Christ. A wooing of the Spirit that's calling you to let God's love shine through you. For living in the flesh, that's a selfish way to live. It's a sinful way to live. It's a me first, me only way to live without caring what my anger or my jealousy or my fornication or my whatever is doing to me and doing to my neighbor and those I care about. In George Stroop's book, Before God, he explains that this flesh-spirit distinction goes more like this. To live in the world in the power of the flesh is to live in bondage to sin and turned away from God and neighbor. Turned away from God and neighbor. It's a selfish way to live. But to live in the world in the power of the Spirit of Christ is to live joyously before God and freely with one's neighbors. It's allowing God's generosity and love and peace and kindness to live through us and let us share those gifts with the world. If we really look at that list that Paul has mentioned, we realize that many of the works of the flesh, many of them have nothing to do with the body. Strife, jealousy, envy, anger, factions, dissension, These are selfish ways to live. They're selfish ways to live with our neighbor in community. They have to do with the way we live with one another. Paul is not saying, okay, we've got these two options. Flesh and the body are bad and spirit and the mind and heart are good. Rather, I think Paul is calling all of us, all of us as Christ followers, to freely choose to use our bodies and our minds and our heart and our soul and our strength to live in the freedom of Christ. And truly living free lives for Christ does begin to yield the fruit of the Spirit. Love and joy and peace and patience and on and on gentleness and self-control. 
So this freedom in Christ, it isn't really a personal freedom to do whatever we want. It's more about how we are with community, how we love one another, how we act peacefully with self-control toward each other. Sometimes we get so caught up in the business of serving ourselves that we fail to become the people we are capable of becoming by the Spirit working in us and through us. And so Paul is trying to remind us that we were created for freedom, that we've been set free not from something, but we're free for something. Set free to live, really live, to love to serve, to help transform this world that God loves so much. And whenever we can break the shackles of whatever imprisons our souls and become free in Christ, we will be guided by the fruit of the Spirit and set free to live. How do we really do that? This life in Christ, this freedom in Christ? I think if we look at history... We can see many great examples, missionaries and martyrs, who have carried and continue to carry the light of Christ into the world. Why, just yesterday, our international mission team arrived safely in Nicaragua, and their goal this week is to to help carry the fruit of the Spirit, letting God's light shine through them in that place where God is already at work, but they are in community with new neighbors. Through the years, ordinary folks folks like you and me, empowered by the Spirit, have become extraordinary as people have joined in the struggle for justice for the oppressed, or offered help for the weak, or taken stands against prejudice. In short, together, Christ's followers make the world different by making ourselves different. If we look at the history of the Methodist Church, Uh, We get some other good examples. I mean, you know, the Methodist Church didn't start out to be a church. It started out as a movement. And it was a movement that was willing to take risks. They didn't just gather to pray and praise, which they did, and read scripture together. They were on fire to transform the world for Christ. And those early Methodists, they were diligent and hard at work building hospitals and schools, orphanages and universities. These these servants visited the poor and the sick. They launched a war on poverty and they attacked slavery. And they spoke out against injustice and in favor of civil liberty. Reverend Wilmot said that the early Methodists were dissenting, protesting reformers of society, seeking to transform the world in the name of Jesus Christ. You see, the fruit of the Spirit enables us to live our lives in such a way that we can be a part of this world transformation. That's pretty awesome. You can be a part of this world transformation. You already are as you let the Spirit work through you and let that love be released into the world. And I told you this week I've been thinking a lot about family. So not only did I think about the boys when they were younger, somehow I started thinking about generations that have come before And I remember stories that I've heard of Ben and Zach's great-great-grandmother, Fannie Mae Wall. Some of you, I see some, mm mm-hmm. Fannie Mae is Clark's great-great-grandmother. So it was Ben and Zach's great-great, anyway. She's been a while, it's been a while. (laughs) Um, But 
Fannie Mae was a member, uh, lived here in South Tampa, and she was a member at First United Methodist downtown. Now, for those of you who are visiting or are new to the community, First United Methodist closed a few years ago, and we received uh, that church, and that is now our second campus called the Portico downtown. So it's really awesome to have this connection with this church. Well, frankly, I pray that Fannie Mae's enthusiastic, contagious, world-transforming spirit will continue to live in and through our work together because she took it seriously. In the late 1890s, being grounded by the spirit, she became someone very involved in helping to transform the world. Now, how did she do it? Every few days, she would dress up nicely, and then she would go over to the old Henry Plant Hotel, the Tampa Bay Hotel. And she would take a close look at the register that sat in the lobby, and she took note of everyone who was staying at the hotel. She'd write down their name, and then she'd phone them and invited them to lunch. And she'd say, hey, I'm Fannie Mae Wall, and I'm local gal here, and I'd love to take you to lunch. Well, I don't know if Teddy Roosevelt or Babe Ruth or Sarah Bernhardt ever joined her for lunch, but many, many people did. And after dispensing with the niceties and the formalities, she got right to the point, and she invited them to participate in one of the most amazing opportunities of all time, to help transform the world by working with her and supporting the Methodist Mission Movement. That's right, she invited them to help build schools in Latin America. The Women's Society of Christian Service, the forerunner of United Methodist Women, had a goal of building a Christian school in every major city in Latin America. And they did. Today, if you go to Uruguay or Argentina or Cuba or so many other countries, you will see that as true. And they're still active, many of them. At the last service, we had three Brazilians. And they came up to me afterwards. Yes, in Brazil, too. It's very exciting. Fannie Mae was excellent at this. She raised so much money that she was allowed the privilege of naming one of the schools in Cuba, the Eliza Bowman School. That's a whole nother story we'll get to another day. But Fannie Mae Wall, thank you for your missionary zeal. Thank you for your willingness to let the Spirit work through you to help transform the world around you and in places even far away that you would never go visit. Fannie Mae Wall, you represent so many faithful servants who have sought to let the fruit of the Spirit live through them. And we thank you. For friends, the fruit of the Spirit is sweet evidence of God's life-giving power working in the lives of people. And Paul reminds us that Christ has already set us free. We are not shackled. The fruit of the Spirit enables you and me to live our lives in such a way that we can be a part of this world transformation. Paul's not saying, go out and be joyful and be kind. Rather, Paul is saying, accept this free gift of God's grace and be filled with God's Spirit. And this is the kind of stuff that the Spirit will do in you and to you and for you. May it be so. Let us pray. Oh, gracious God, I pray that you would soften our hearts this day and allow us to receive your Spirit in a new way. 
so that our lives bear that kind of fruit of love and joy, kindness, generosity. We want to be your servants. Help us to serve you by loving neighbor and serving them as well. We pray in your name, Jesus. Amen.